0: Good morning, Crosspoint. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you to our worship team. So pleased to be here. So glad to see everyone. I see you're the ones that did not forget to move your clock forward. Nobody does that anymore, right? I mean, it's like your phone. It does it by itself. Otherwise, we'd be in more trouble. Thank you for being here. It's always a joy to be able to gather on a Sunday morning. Our worship team, We thank them for for leading us in proclaiming God's goodness and worthiness through, through song. For those of you online, we want to thank you for joining us, and we hope that uh, you're able to join us in person soon, if you're able to. I know there's a few of you that are just either out of state or what have you, but uh, for the rest of you, we'd love to have you here. For those of you who are here, thank you for being here. And um, I have several announcements, and I always say that I want to keep them short, but today I am, for real. So here they go. On the 9th of April, we're going to have a motherhood event. So that is for all moms of all ages, including future potential moms. So it's really a women's event, and we want to welcome, or we want to invite everyone. We want you to uh, go online and register. We would appreciate that, make things a little bit easier. But we're hoping to uh, really pack the house. So I know the women tend to have events, and I don't know where all the women come from, but we, we get some really good turnouts. We're hoping to get a really good turnout this time. It's in collaboration with Obria. Uh, it's going to be an all-day event, I believe, 9 till 5. Light breakfast, I read somewhere. Full lunch. Uh, I'm sure there's still volunteers needed. I told CJ, who's who's heading this, if you need a bunch of guys to come in and security or serve or set up, you let us know, and uh, we'll try to find... No, I'm kidding. Well, we're there. We are ready to go. All right? So... All the guys are also on check here. Keep your calendars open. We might need your help. Also, um, I'll mention that our growth groups. This month is the last month of our trimester one in 2022 already. It was a shortened uh, trimester. So we only have a couple of weeks left. Then we're going to have all of April off. And then all of you who were going to register and just didn't, we would encourage you to register for Trimester 2 in 2022, which will start in May. That will be Trimester 2. Uh, and again, I just want to encourage you to attend. You know, I, I think a lot about our church, our congregation, what we do, what we want to do. And, and when you really think about it, this whole uh, discipleship process that we've implemented and we're trying to, to get everybody to, to plug into, it's really something supernatural, It's 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 not normal that you would have a group, think about this, a group of people within a community or surrounding communities to gather in the same place every Sunday, really to listen to the same person every week. Like who does that? We do. And I trust that it's not because you come to hear me obviously, but you come to hear God's word. But we don't we don't stop there. We say Sunday morning worship experience is great, but we encourage you to plug into a growth group where you are uh, committing yourself to growing spiritually within a community, and for the 120 people on average that attend here on Sunday morning, we have about 95 people registering growth groups right now. That's really good, but I'm not happy with that. I figure if you're coming to Crosspoint and you believe God has you here, uh, then my expectation, my desire would be that you would plug into a growth group. Not for anybody's sake, not for numbers sake, but for I figure if if, if you're part of a congregation, you're saying, I'm part of God's body, and I'm part of this local body, then plug in. And a growth group is a perfect place to do it. Everything besides that, I believe, are excuses why we wouldn't do it. Just excuses. And we're going to talk about excuses a little bit today and temptation and how we have to be careful with that. So really think about it. I would encourage you, if you believe that God has you be part of Crosspoint, then being part of a growth group, we believe, is an essential part of being a Crosspointee. So think about that, all right? And then we want everybody to be engaged in some kind of service here at church and outside of church in our, in our ministry service teams. Um, so keep that in mind. Keep that in prayer, there Next week, we have a Bible Bowl happening here. So some of you, your kids are part of Bible Bowl, or maybe you've been part of Bible Bowl. You know exactly what we're talking about. Many of you have no idea what Bible Bowl is. We would encourage you to attend. So we're hosting a Bible Bowl event here. That'll be the last, right? Our Bible Bowlers are done after this week. Yeah, so we have a good... Over a dozen of our young people are part of our Bible Bowl team this year. They've traveled to New Mexico. They've traveled to Arizona. Now people from those places are traveling here. We're hosting a a group here in our building for the weekend, uh, but they'll be here. Uh, And Saturday, that's going to be a Bible Bowl event held in Whittier. I would highly encourage you to attend, especially if you have no idea what we're talking about. Just come and see. Come and watch. Come and help. And I think you'll be really blessed by, by what goes on there. I want to thank all the Bible bowlers, all the participants, and certainly all the helpers that have been traveling with them and teaching them and spending time with them. I think that's great. At the same time, next week, a little conflict of timing here, but there's also a, uh, some of you might be very interested, in as you saw that on the, on the newsletter, there's a prayer summit. So churches in this area uh, have for 22 years, I believe, gone together and had an annual prayer summit. Uh, so I got involved this year. Um, I'm scheduled to be part of it for 20 minutes. So we're trying to work out that scheduling. But if that's something that interests you, for my 20 minutes, I'm going to be praying on the sanctity of life. Uh, and so it's all broken up. Different pastors, different church leaders are going to be part of that. I just think it would be really great for us to be part of that bigger community here as, uh, as, as believers with other churches and other believers. And just kind of unite and come in prayer to, uh, to our Lord for And ask for his mercy and his help. So keep that in mind. If you have any questions, see me about that. Um, That's it for the announcements. Told you that was going to be quick. So I want to take communion. And to do that, I also want, I have to do it. If I don't do it, maybe I won't end up not doing it. So I'm going to announce it now. I I miss uh, old classic hymns, right? I know many of you do too. And then many of you have no idea what we're talking about, right? Uh, and so I would like for us to, to uh, when we take communion, kind of go back to some of these old hymns and maybe just sing a cappella, a couple of uh, stanzas from, from some of these hymns. And um, part of that happened where I've always, I always I've loved hymns forever. I play a lot of hymns in my guitar, and I worship. When I'm studying, I'm worshiping, I'm playing, I'm singing, and I was thinking, man, I don't want to be the generation that drops the baton when it comes to like the, our, our kids don't learn amazing grace and how great thou art and come thou found and all these, all these hymns. So brush up on your hymns because next week, Lord willing, when we take communion, we're going to sing some of those hymns. For some of you, it's going to be a joy just singing those if we haven't for a while. And then for many of you, you're going to be like, what are they singing? Well, you jump in and learn some of these hymns. All right. All right. We'll do it. Sounds good. Sounds good. So this morning I want to turn to Romans 6.23 in order for us to uh, just get prepared to take communion. Romans 6.23 is probably a familiar verse to many of you. It's part of, if, if uh, the Romans' road to salvation is something that you're familiar with, this verse usually comes up there. Romans 6.23 is a, a short verse. It's the last verse of this chapter 6. And here the Apostle Paul says some very important and clear te- teachings. 623 says, for the wages or the payment of sin is death, but, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm so grateful that I learned this verse when I was, I don't know, maybe 11, 12 years old. Uh, our sister Caroline, who was our Sunday school teacher for many of us that have been around for a while would have us memorize a lot of these verses. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so I don't even think there's a lot of uh, need for explanation other than to say that it is God and his judgment upon sin that requires death, the very life of the sinner. From the beginning, he told Adam and Eve, Of all the trees, of all the fruit of all trees, you may freely eat except from that one because the day you eat of it, you shall surely what? You shall surely die. And then in Ezekiel, not through all the, the, uh, the Old Testament and of course the New Testament, this idea that the sinner must pay for their sin. And when we talk about death, we talk about separation. Maybe that'll help some of us understand death. We talk about separation and so... The reason why Adam and Eve didn't drop physically dead is because there was a, a, an element to that physical death that entered humanity. Had they not sinned, they would have never died. They carried in, the, in their bodies without sin, life's perfect and eternal life, God's perfect and eternal life. And so because of sin, that eternal life was interrupted, and they were on their way now to dying physically, but there was also the separation between them and God. The communion and fellowship they had before had been interrupted. And there was a need for a shedding of blood in order for that to be fixed. In Ezekiel, God says, the soul that sins, it shall die. So the wages of sin is death. And the Bible says we're all sinners, so we all need to die. It says, but, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And when we take communion, that's what we celebrate. That's what we proclaim. That's what we remember. That we as sinners deserve condemnation, separation from the holy and perfect God, but Jesus Christ and what he did at the cross for us allows us to experience and receive forgiveness and a reconciliation with God. Jesus, the second person of the Holy Trinity, took on flesh in order to give up that body and that life as a payment for ours. He took our place at the cross, and for that we are eternally grateful and we take this bread that symbolizes the sinless body of our Lord Jesus Christ together. As you peel back the second layer, you have the juice that represents the, the blood. The Bible says that the, the life, life is in the blood. And when he sheds his blood, he sheds his life for us as a payment for our sin. Let's take that together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your blessings. Thank you for this beautiful morning, and thank you for everybody who is here and those joining us online. Father, what a privilege to be able to gather as your children in order to worship you, to demonstrate our appreciation to you and our love. Um, Please guide us this morning. Holy Spirit, we know you're here. You're in every one of us, your children. Lead us, open our understanding, help us to not be distracted, help us to pay attention to what you have for us this morning. I pray this in Jesus' mighty name, amen. All right, beloved, this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to continue our messages out of Luke. We are in chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 1 through 13, and let me say this now. After verse 13, there's a shift so far from... Chapter 1, verse 1 in Luke, all the way to chapter 4, verse 13, which we're going to cover today, it's really the preamble or the introduction before our Lord Jesus begins his public ministry. So we've, we've read a lot of history that comes prior to and preparation for the Lord's public ministry. So after 413, you're going to see a, a shift for those of you who are, for all of you who are reading at home you're going to see that now we're going to be reading how Luke tells us about the things that Jesus actually did in relation to other people. I uh, just want to throw that out there, for a little bit of context here. And we're going to talk about temptation. So chapter one, chapter 4, verses 1 through 13, we have the temp- what's often referred to as the temptation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Last week we talked about temptation uh, Baptism and the Lord had been baptized. We talked about the Holy Trinity. What happened during the Lord's, uh, you know, water baptism, and soon after that is where we pick up right now. Um, so let me read that, and then we're going to share three points that have to do with temptation. And so, plainly, plainly stated, temptation is when we are enticed or provoked or asked, yeah, enticed is the best word, we are enticed to sin, believing or having been offered something that seemed advantageous. So this, this something occurs where we find ourselves wanting to do it because it either, it's going to feel good, it's going to, prosper me, it's going to help me in this or that, and, but it's not a good thing. It's, in doing that, we know that we're going to be sinning. We're going to be doing something against God's will, but it's going to help us, and that's where the temptation comes in, the enticement. But in fact, the Lord Jesus Christ is part of my point one, but I want to mention now, the Lord Jesus Christ was in, in, in a sense never really tempted. I believe our Lord Jesus Christ was not capable of sinning And instead, and the word temptation can often be translated as tested. And so what we have here with the Lord Jesus Christ being tested by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. He's tested. Much like, um, in in using a, a construction analogy sort of, I meant to touch base with some of our construction people to get like a really good story, but. Let's say, for example, when somebody, when engineers and construction workers, they build a bridge. So they build a bridge and they finish it, and then what? Usually what they do is they'll, they'll test it, to make sure, not to make sure that it's good, because I don't think these engineers and, and construction workers build something and hope, they cross their fingers and hope that it doesn't fall apart, but they know what they've done. They've done all the work. They've set the foundation. They've created this, this massive structure in the case of a bridge and then not to see if it's going to fall or not, but to prove to everyone that, hey, it's, going to, it's now safe for you to travel on this bridge. Look, let us put these heavy loads. Let's bring the helicopter. Let's do all these things to show and prove people that, in fact, this bridge is safe. And that's much more was happening with the Lord Jesus Christ. It wasn't, you know, the father was not, you know, crossing his fingers hoping that his son wouldn't mess up the plan of redemption by giving in to temptation. That was not even an option for the Lord, It was more a declaration of God's the son's sinlessness and being able to resist all sort of temptations that the devil would throw at him. Keep that in mind. I think that might might help. Uh, For us, it's different. For us, it's different. We are tempted, beloved, all the time. And the more I I thought about this message, I don't want to say scary, but certainly quite concerning. Because what the devil did... Or tried to do to our Lord Jesus Christ for those 40 days and 40 nights. And he didn't stop there, as we're going to read right now. He continued with his temptations. He does the same to us. And maybe not personally. The devil doesn't come to you. He's not uh, omnipresent. But he's got a bunch of demons. And he's got, more than anything, this world system. I think that's kind of the, the concerning part. So part of my introduction was to ask you, how are you tempted? Or when do you see yourself being tempted? Kind of like, what are your weak points? And to me, the scary part is, I did you scary there, right there. Did you see that? Is that sometimes we think we got this temptation thing down. Oh, I know where the Lord tests me, and I know where Satan tries to tempt me. And I will submit to you that all of us, beloved, because we're in this world and we are in this flesh, we are tempted more than we realize and we give in to our temptations way more than we realize. And I think that's in part why Paul in Corinthians says, he who believes he, he stands, take heed lest he fall. Like if you think you got it all down, I would submit to you this morning, stop thinking that. You're being ridiculous and you have no idea what you're saying. So I will say to you, if you think you have the temptation thing down, it's like, yeah, I know that there's this one thing that, that, man, the devil always gets me with. I think the devil will be laughing at you saying, like, one? You think I got you with one? Let me show you your list. And boom, he will show us a, a multi-list. And I think that has to do with Romans 12 not being conformed to the things of this world. Paul tells that to Christians because, again, concerning how much we as Christians are involved in the things of this world that are contrary to God's will? Because I think about things like, why, why is it that? See, we take certain things for granted in the church. And you hear church leaders say, like, man, we need leaders. Every church lacks leaders. And it's like, well, why do we lack leaders? Well, then a big part of that, because there's a big lack of commitment in the churches. And certainly in this one. Then you ask yourselves, why? why is there so many people in our church that lack commitment? Why aren't we fully devoted to the Lord? And I'm not saying that I am. I don't think any of us are. But certainly we could see kind of different levels of, of commitment. Maybe I'm at 3%. You guys are at 1%. Some of you are in 5%. I don't know any of us are like at nine, in the 90s or anything like that. But why not? Why isn't the church full of committed individuals that are learning, growing, doing everything possible to serve the Lord, to honor Him, and in doing that, they're growing spiritually, and that puts us in a position of being able to lead others to Christ. And why, why is it that we, we take for granted and we accept these things like, hey, only 5% of people ever lead anybody to Christ? And the church, I would say, is quite comfortable. Only a few people out there are ringing the bell saying like, hey, that's not right. The Lord said if we're going to be his disciples, we're disciple makers, but yet very few people take that serious and we're comfortable. We're fighting about how hot the coffee is or you know, why don't we have more donuts like we used to or, and we we get we get caught up in all these ridiculous mundane things and I would submit to you all of that has to do with us giving into the temptations of this world that we're to a certain extent blinded To where we should be as Christians, as children of God, as the elect of the Lord. So I say that to kind of lay the groundwork. I think if 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 we could get an idea that maybe we're not as on top of our temptation issues as much as we think we are, I think that would be and you get to thinking about this week about really where is where where am I being tempted? Where are those places that I've given into years ago that now I just don't even, doesn't even bother me. And even as a church, as a congregation here at Crosspoint and as a global church, we have to be very careful with these things. We we assume a lot of things. We assimilate a lot of things in the world where before you know it, all these things are normal. And I'm saying it's not. That's why when I say that our discipleship process is really a supernatural thing. For people to be committed and coming to church, I've told you guys. You know, the, the, let's say, 80 people that are here, there's probably 40, 50 people that could have easily been here but are not. And then next week, some of you are not going to be here. And it's like, wait, what happened to them? Like, we, we keep getting the same average number, but everybody, where's the, what's, what's going on? Did you know, I don't know if I've shared this with you, I know I'm going on a little bit, but I think this is really important. Did you know that in in the Christian circles, in the church circles, it is now acceptable to believe that if a person attends church once a month, they're considered a regular attendee. So if you come once a month, as in 25% of the time, you would be considered a faithful regular attender. Isn't that weird? I don't want that for our church. I don't want you thinking that if you come every once in a while, it's like, yeah, I'm a a cross pointee. I go to Cross Point. I'm a faithful attender. I go once a month, sometimes even twice. I'm like, whoa. Beloved, this is the Lord's day. And I don't know what you got going on, but I don't think it's more important than gathering with believers, worshiping the Lord, spending time in his word. And let's not go to the other end where we become legalistic because you know I've always gone to church on Sunday. It's Sunday that's why I don't want you. I also don't want you just to come to church because it's Sunday. It's Sunday, so come to church, but come ready, expecting to receive something from the Lord, expecting to bless other people. Maybe you're engaged in helping somewhere in the church and you're serving. And then you can't wait till, you know, growth group night at somebody's house or online or whatever's going on. And then you can't wait to come and help on food distribution or youth group or anything that, that's going on. I'm saying let's be careful that we don't find ourselves in this uh, spiritual nap and not realize that the enemy is laughing behind our backs and we're breaking the Lord's heart because he expects a lot from us and maybe we're not where we should be. I would say none of us are where we should be, but let's make sure we're not uh, at least unaware of, of where we're at and how we're being tempted, when we're being tempted, how much have I given into temptation, how much have I rationalized and excused my sin as I've given into temptation all these years or even decades. Our sin is never okay. God is never okay with our sin, no matter what excuse you come up with. God is not okay with our sin. And it is a a privilege to engage in the spiritual war as we get into the word and see how do we then deal with this situation. So we're going to do that right now. Let me share a verse with you. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 as a form of a, just a key verse that has to do with temptation. And maybe this verse will, will give us some, um, some hope. It says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So I think this verse will say, You could never say, I've been tempted beyond my ability to resist, and therefore, all I have left is to give in. What a martyr you are. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that we are to fight, resist, and you will never be tempted more than what you're able to bear. And and I'm pretty sure that as I say that, maybe all of us, if not most of us, are thinking like, yeah, but you don't know what's going on with me. And I probably don't. But I'll tell you, you should share that with somebody. Have somebody pray with you. Because you're not being tempted in any way that is not common to other human beings. And God will give you the way of escape. Not always at the time that we want it or the way we want it, but he has promised that. So keep that in mind. The main point this morning is that living for God's glory requires a proper biblical understanding of temptation. We need to have a proper biblical understanding of what temptation is, how it works, and how we are to react to it, and that's what we want to uh, get to this morning, all right? So three points to talk about temptation as we read Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. Uh, so let me go ahead and read it. It's not, a long, it's not a long portion, so let me read that, and then we'll come back and look at these points. It says, then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, And was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing, and afterwards, when they had ended, he was hungry. Probably a major understatement, right? How would you like to go 40 days without eating? Yeah, 40 hours would be a problem. Verse 3, And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you, and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord God, and him only you shall serve. Then he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now, when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Wow. Amazing. A lot of stuff going on there. Um, Probably a portion that most of us are familiar with. But even there, and I would encourage you to read the same account in Matt and the other gospels. And and get a fuller sense and feel of what was transpiring here. Even though we could never get a a full... um, Total understanding. But right after the Lord's baptism, it says that he was full of the Holy Spirit. It is the spirit that leads him to the wilderness to be tempted by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. And that's very much consistent with what I told you. Here's the Holy Spirit leading the Lord not to see if, but to show that he will not give in to temptation. And in fact, he could not give in to temptation. And that's important for us to, for, for several reasons, and I think some of it is going to be here. So let me just get right into our three points, all right? So point number one, we're going to talk about the testing of our Lord Jesus Christ. So obviously that's kind of like what's going on here, the testing of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I chose the word testing rather than temptation, uh, and this testing was in order for not him to see if he would pass, but I think much more a declaration to all of us to see what kind of a high priest we were going to have. What kind of a, a God, who, what kind of a Savior we were going to be depending on. And that is one who never sinned and was, in fact, incapable of sinning. And that was proven by the devil having 40 days. And it says that he tempted him in all points. So both Matthew and Luke only share these three interactions, these three temptations by, by the devil. But But Luke clearly says... That the devil tested him for 40 days and 40 nights. So everything that you can think of, the devil threw at the Lord. While the Lord, physically speaking, was at his lowest point. Right? Physically speaking, not eating for 40 days and 40 nights put him, you know, physically speaking, in a more vulnerable state. And so the Lord, physically speaking, was at his lowest point, And the devil had the best opportunity to make him fall. Unlike Adam, right? Adam had everything going for him. He probably had the body because the Lord had just made him. You know what I mean? And then he had all the food he wanted. He was probably in the prime of his life physically. He had the girl. He had everything. And yet he fell at the first temptation. And that's complicated, but, you know, and Eve. Here the Lord at his lowest point... Away from everybody else in the wilderness, no food, and the devil on him for 40 days and 40 nights, and yet he never once wavered, even a little bit. So if you're like reading this and kind of chewing your nails and like, oh, what's going to happen? That's not what the Lord was experiencing. It was a testing to prove not to him or to the Father, but to prove to the devil and everyone else what kind of a Savior we have. So... The testing of our Lord. Let me share a couple of verses and then I might come back to, to say some things about the, the actual testing. So Hebrews 4.13 says, For we do not have a high priest, that is our Lord Jesus, who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. And that coincides with what happened here in Luke 4. The author of, of Hebrews tells us we have a high priest. And this is really important. When you're going through trials and temptations and difficulties and we pray to the Lord who is is our advocate, who is our high priest, it says our high priest is able to identify with everything that we go to. And isn't that one of Satan's favorite tricks to make you think that only you're going through what you're going through? Oh, God can't understand what you're going through. You're, You're by yourself on this one. And don't even think about telling anybody at the church because they'll look at you weird. Wrong. Wrong. You know, I really appreciate you guys. And those of you that are transparent about your stories. And I just feel like if we bring somebody in, they could talk to some of you, and they tell you like their darkest, ugliest thing. You, some of you will probably look at them and say like, is that it? Let me tell you what God has allowed me to go through so that I can speak into your life. We need that beloved. So thank, for, thank you for those of you who are transparent vulnerable and willing to share your story and make yourself available to help other people. We need that. That's a lot of where the power through the Holy Spirit comes in at the church. At a church. So we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with us in our weakness but in all points was tempted as we are yet without sin. James one thirteen tells us something very important. James 1.13 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. Oh, God made me do it? No. For God cannot be tempted by evil. Nor does he himself tempt anyone. He does test us. And to a certain extent, of course, with every test, there's a possibility of us going astray and failing the test and choosing not to submit to God. But God does not tempt us to do evil. But he does test us. Our faith, but here in this verse also says that God cannot be tempted by evil. So our Lord Jesus Christ in His humanity was tempted, but because He is God the Son, He couldn't be tempted by evil. And that is that could get a little complicated, but for right now, let's take these these verses and understand that the point is Jesus was tempted in all points, and did not once sin so let me quickly go through what happened here and I got to do it quickly so in these, these three interactions with, with Satan the devil comes and says the, here the Lord is hungry after 40 days and 40 nights and he wasn't just kind of hungry because the Lord was fully human he was as hungry as any one of us would have been after 40 days and 40 nights of not eating I can't even imagine that but the Lord comes and says if You are the son of God. So the the devil's trick since the beginning has always been to try to doubt, put doubt in your mind in different ways. And and here in chapter 4 with the verse temptation, it says, um, and the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, every time, if you are the son of God, let me throw that seed in there. And for some of you, maybe battling with if you are a Christian and you hear these voices, man Mike, I thought you were a Christian. You know, I think if you were a Christian, you wouldn't be doing that. And you'd be doing this. And you heard what the preacher said. You know what the and 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 also very interesting that the devil over and over quotes scripture. Very interesting. So what is he wanting Jesus to doubt? I believe he's wanting to cause Jesus to doubt God's love. It's not about food. He's using food, but it's really, man, you know, God fed these rebellious Israelites in the, in the desert for 40 days, I mean, for 40 years, and he's not going to give you food, right? And then the Lord Jesus later on, speaking to Pharisees, says, you earthly fathers know how to do good. If your son asks you for a piece of bread, you give him a serpent? And so this understanding that as a child, your parent is going to take care of you, and food is a very basic need. And so he, he comes at the Lord when he's hungry, and he says, if you are the son of God, if God loves you that much, just, I'm sure he wants you to eat, right? I mean, there was a lot of stuff going on here. Sometimes we feel like, you know, they offer, at a party, they offer you a cupcake, like, oh, don't tempt me with that. I'm like, oh, they we think that's a temptation. That's a whole different story I would love to get into, why some of us need to lose some pounds, and it has nothing to do with carbs. Or sweets. It's just us wanting to do whatever we want. But all right. So first, the first temptation here of the three is the devil wanting Jesus to doubt God's love. If he loves you, surely he wants you to eat. The second temptation here is to doubt God's plan. So he takes them to this place, and in an instant, I don't know how that happened, but in an instant, he shows them all the kingdoms of the world and says, look, if you just bow down before me and worship me, you don't have to go through the cross and wait for your resurrection and then for, for God to finish everything and then give you all the throne. I can give it to you right now. Let's just forego the cross. You don't have to do God's plan. I got a better one, an easier one. Oh, boy, I think that one hit me the most when I think about the temptation in my life to go the easy route. Boy, God gives you an idea or a dream or a desire to do something for the Lord, and then what happens? How come it doesn't happen? Or how come you come to church perhaps and thinking like, you know what, I don't know why I'm so flaky. I'm going to start going to church every Sunday no matter what. And then that desire is there, and what happens? Or God puts a desire in you to start a ministry or to be involved in this and that, and then what happens to most of us? I would submit the devil, the demons, the way of this world, your flesh comes around and says, you don't have to do that. I mean, look, then you're going to have to be at church all the time and you're going to miss your favorite show and you're not going to be able to do that. And what's going to happen with your friends and what's going to happen with your job? Who does all that? Who do you think puts those ideas in you? I'm telling you, none of us are where we should be In God's kingdom and his work, in obedience and love and forgiveness and all that. And you have to ask yourself, why not? Is it because the spirit is not in you? If you're a child of God, the spirit is in you. Is it because God doesn't want you to be like Christ? Of course God wants you to be like Christ. So why aren't you? Why aren't I? And it's always because we give in to temptation. So we got to stop thinking about temptation as this very obvious Oh, the secretary at work, that's my temptation. That's not the only temptation you have. You never read your Bible, but you think the secretary at work is a temptation? I assure you, the devil is much happier with you not going to growth group, serving at church, attending church regularly, making disciples, witnessing to people, loving on people. He's much more happy with you not doing those things, thinking that your only temptation is whatever. In and out burgers. Did I just give my secret away? <laughs> I think this is really serious stuff. And it could be very transforming in our lives if we just kind of submit to God and say, How am I being tempted? So causing wanting to cause Jesus to, to doubt God's love, God's plan, and then and then to to this is a, a weird one too. When when the devil takes the Lord to the pinnacle of the temple, says, Look. Just throw yourself down because, hey, if you, are the, if you are a child of God, if you are the son of God, he'll rescue you. It says in the Bible that he's not going to let you like, fall down and like, get killed and splatter yourself all over the floor of the temple over there. Just do it. And then the Lord says it is written, do not tempt the Lord your God. Here's a tricky one. Sometimes some of, so that talks about putting God in a corner. And I see that. I see that in me, and I see that in some of you. We 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 put God in a between a, a, a hard place and a and rock, and we say, "I have so much faith. I know God's going to do this for me, because I have so much faith." And there you are thinking you're so you have so much faith, and what you're really doing is you're tempting God. God, if you really love me, why don't you do this? I think we do that a lot. And that is part, I've said this a lot, I think that's why there's so much confusion and that's why there's so many people in churches upset at God because God didn't come through for you. Because he didn't give you this or didn't do that for you or he let this person die, he didn't heal that person and he didn't give you this or he allowed that. God is under no obligation to do anything for you. No obligation. Out of his love, mercy, compassion, and grace, he gives us everything, but he doesn't have to. And I think here, I mean, what's the big deal about Jesus jumping off? He could have flown. He could have floated. He could have had angels catch him. It is true. God could have easily done that. But having giving into that is, is, would have been a, a, an accepting of Jesus' doubt of God's protection. Like, I don't have to do that. He would have said, I have nothing to prove to you, devil. I know God loves me. I don't have to doubt his love. He doesn't have to do tricks for me to believe and trust in him. I know who he is. I know who I am as his child for us speaking as children of God. And, and Jesus often will rebuke people that asked signs of him. Now, the Lord would go and heal people, resurrect people without being asked. But when people came in their unbelief and said, like, why don't you do this little trick? Why don't you do that? The Lord wouldn't do it. He would rebuke those people for their unbelief in asking him to. It's this presumptuous, you know, fake faith. God has to. So I'll ask you, what does God have to do for you? In your mind, in the depths of your heart, what is it that you think that God has to do for you? And I would say, if there's anything in there, you need to get it out. Because you're behaving the way the devil wanted Jesus to behave. Like, God owes me one. I'm not good with his plan. I don't really know if he loves me. Let me me put God to the test. You hear a lot of that in the prosperity gospel preachers. Put God to the test. It says in Micah, at one time, it says, Do not tempt the Lord. Do not test the Lord. Now, the Lord is gracious, beloved. I know probably all of us have um, testimonies where God has come through for us in ways that, but he didn't have to. And for us to, to behave in that way would be to trust God presumptuously or to try to put him in a place where, now he has to do this for me, or else I'm gonna be mad at him. I'll stop trusting him. We gotta be careful with that. I've met so many people like that, beloved, that grew up in the church, we're we're sold this idea of test God and God loves you and you're the most important thing ever and God is here for you and he's all about you just tell him whatever you want and guess what doesn't work and then you have all these bitter angry resentful people and they use the church as an excuse there's always some person in the church that said something or did something but it's really their heart and their relationship with God that is bad The testing of our Lord Jesus. All right. In the next minute, we're going to do the next two points. You guys ready? Sorry. Um, The tempter. Let me just say a couple things about the tempter. 1 Peter 5.8, there's a devil. It says, be sober, church. Be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. If you ever think that you're... Well, and you stand firm. Take heed, lest you fall. From Genesis three, the enemy has always been wanting to cast doubt into people in our relationship with God. I was going to share with you John eight forty four, John ten ten, but just speaks. It speaks about the devil being a liar from the beginning and being busy. Trying to get us to doubt God's love, God's plan, God's faithfulness, God's promises for us. And he's good at it. You have to understand that. He's very good at it. Look at the church. Why are we limping? Why are we flaky? Why are we mediocre? We're living these mediocre lives. Why are we lukewarm? He's good at his job. He's been doing it from the beginning. Triumph over temptation is my third point. So the the testing of the Lord, the tempter himself, the devil, and then point three is triumph over temptation. So let me read these verses. Galatians 5, 16. It says, "I I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Walk in the spirit. The opposite of that would be doing things on our own power. In the power of the flesh, not considering God, not submitting to God. Walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. John, 1 John 4.4, 4, it says, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. James 4.7 says, therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And 1 Corinthians 10, 13, like we read, there's no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to men, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. And Philippians 4, 13, Paul says, I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. As Christians, we have no excuse to resist and fight against temptation. That's not the problem. The, the power source, God himself, is not the problem. It's us not being willing to engage in the fight. Beloved, we all struggle with stuff. We all struggle with things. You don't need to, don't come to church pre, trying to pretend like everything's right. If I've ever given that impression to you, I apologize. We all have struggles. We're all deficient in multiple places. There isn't just one thing. Oh, if it was just one thing. We're all messed up, beloved. So mask down, sin to the light, get some accountability, have mentors in your life, and understand that as in Christ we have the victory already. We've already won. We're already overcomers. We're already victorious. But during this time, this short time here on earth, we're going to be tempted. We're going to be tested. And... As we walk in the spirit and we submit to God and we resist the devil, we're obedient, we're in the word, we're in fellowship, more victories will be won. Never perfectly, but the Christian life needs to be one of progression, becoming more like Christ. So I know this is a heavy subject topic. Temptation is, is, uh, is a big deal, beloved. And I would love for us to really think deeper perhaps than what we have in the past. And when you say, you know, this is my one temptation, or these are the things that I know I struggle with, I would say dig in a little bit deeper. Or get somebody with you that knows you really well to help you dig. You're gonna find they bring a big shovel, like one of those professional ones, and yeah, you forgot to dig right here. Let's go. And be like, ah, stop. Let's dig deeper. Because none of us are where we should be or can be. And then I don't want you to feel like come out of here all feeling all guilty and down. And, but I want you to come out here feeling like, yeah, let's go to war. Let's go to battle. I want to please God. I want to be more like Christ. I want to be the husband God wants me to be, the wife God wants me to be, the dad God wants me to be, the mom wants me to be, the son, the daughter, the nephew, the neighbor, the teammate that God wants me to be. I think that's what it's all about. That is how we will honor God. And if we want to live for God's glory, it requires a proper biblical understanding of temptation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. seems so short. Thank you for your word. Father, I apologize for any of me that came through, but that we trust in, in your power through your word, Holy Spirit. Teach us, guide us, transform us to be more in the image of our Lord Jesus Christ, who though was tempted in all points, never... Gave in, never sinned. We know we do, and for that we ask for forgiveness, and we thank you for the provision of your Son on the cross for our sins. But we don't want to take advantage of that or or not live properly, but in gratitude for that, Father, help us to live according to your will, that it will bring you honor and glory. We ask that you dismiss us with your blessing. We pray in the mighty and wonderful, precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. God bless you, beloved. You are dismissed.